You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, Northside. And as I begin today, I just have to say that I, on uh, Thursday night, and probably many of you on Thursday, uh, were just absolutely shocked and saddened to hear the news of Mark Williams passing away at the age 59. Uh, that's Faith's husband. Um, they have been members of this church for over 30 years. Uh, for, uh, for years, we played basketball together. We did mission trip together. We, um, we did Round Lake together. So many, many things and memories. Um, and uh, Faith now works with us side by side every day, and everybody loves Faith and the kids. And, and what a shock. Uh, when I got the phone call probably 11 o'clock that night, the first words out of my mouth were, no, uh, when I went to the hospital. Um, you know, Faith and I have been talking an awful lot the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mark took care of his parents uh, every day. He, he would go over there and take care of his parents. Uh, and Faith has aging parents, and I have aging parents, and, and my dad's not doing so well. And, and we talked a lot about the last few weeks about you never know when the last time you have a chance to talk to somebody. And uh, all along, we're thinking our parents, never thinking it would be a spouse. You know, I, I don't know sometimes what people always think about church, you know, f- from, from doctrine to music to the color of the carpet, the size of the screens, the lights, the sound of the music. I don't know what everybody thinks all the time, but let me tell you, it is about life and death, and it is about uh, eternal salvation, and we deal with that every single day. Wednesday went from went from uh, bearing an aged saint, Will Hawkins, one of our elders, dad or mom, uh, to that night, uh, that news of Mark passing, uh, to a wedding yesterday, just one thing after another. And uh, let me tell you, when death calls, whether it's early or late, we better be ready because none of us know. It, our life can change absolutely in a heartbeat. And our job is to be ready for that time comes. And we all hope that it's when we're aged, but it is not necessarily so when we pass away so suddenly, so quickly, and that changes. Life can change in a heartbeat. So just, I, I plead with you, be ready when that time comes for you. Have that relationship with Jesus Christ because we never, ever know. That's why Jesus Christ came to the world, to be a Savior so that we could live forever in heaven, that hope that someday we're going to be reunited, not only with Jesus, but with Mark and all the others that have gone on before us. And that's a hope that holds out at Christmas time. And so at Christmas time, we've been talking this year about specific places in the Bible referring to the Christmas story. Last week, we talked about Jerusalem. This week, we're going to talk about Nazareth. Nazareth, I've had the privilege to be there. It's a bustling town of about 77,000 people now, but that wasn't the case back when Jesus was born. Probably only maybe a few dozen homes, a hundred people. But Nazareth, if you go to Nazareth now, you will see this church, and that is called the Church of the Annunciation. Uh, In the Middle East, there's a lot of cathedrals and churches that are built over uh, what they believe was sacred sites. And this is the, if you're from a Catholic background, you will know the word Annunciation uh, refers to the announcement to Mary by the angel that she would give birth to a son. And the towering cupola actually is in the shape of a lantern because Jesus was going to be the light of the world that would go out into all the world. And uh, the tradition is that that stands over the cave or the, uh, of the, or the home of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and that's where the angel Gabriel would announce to Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. 
And that's where she uttered her consent, let it be done according to your word. Now, the building's pretty impressive to walk around, but as you go in, one of the things you'll notice inside and out, there's these large mosaics all over the building. And if you, if you can see underneath, these mosaics were given by different countries all over the world, Ethiopia, France, Italy. And one thing that you will notice is uh, when you go around, each country kind of depicts Jesus like their own representative, like in their own ethnicity, uh, which is real. And we do that in America too. We kind of uh, picture him much more like us. Um, but everybody tends to do that a little bit. But when Mary and Joseph were growing up in Nazareth, like I said, probably about 30 homes, maybe 100 people. And in December of 2009, 10 years ago, they uncovered a home right next to the Church of Annunciation that they believe uh, was all the way back to the time of Jesus Christ. Um, there is a picture of the ruins. Uh, it's right next door to the property of the church, as I said, and that is the very first residential building that's found in that old Jewish village. It's very small and modest has two rooms and a courtyard with a cistern to collect rainwater. Now, the thing about Nazareth is it lived in the shadow of everybody else. All the other cities were bigger, they, they were more well-known, they were more popular, but not Nazareth. Now, if you grew up in a home where you had a sibling that was better than you were, maybe they were more athletic, they were bigger, they were stronger, they were smarter, they were better looking, then you know what it's like to kind of live less than, you know, maybe your sibling. And that's kind of the way Nazareth was uh, in that regard. In fact, in John's gospel, uh, he says this, Nazareth, can anything come from there? Probably more dismissive than derogatory, but, but there was this less than feeling. They're not good enough. They don't quite measure up in some way or another. And even though it's a, um, a bustling city now, it wasn't that way back then. And so uh, less than, uh, but it's to this less than and to a young girl, maybe 14 at the age, and a young carpenter, and God takes his message to them and says, you're going to bring the Messiah into the world. So he sends an angel and says, you are the chosen one, Mary. And uh, she says, uh, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be as you've said. Now, can anything good come out of Nazareth like Nathaniel mentioned? Well, I'll let you be, I'll let you decide. Because interestingly enough, sometimes the greatest things in our life originate from the most simple things and the simple places and the simple people, and it all starts with just a step of obedience for God. Uh, they were simple people, a carpenter and a young girl, very simple place, Nazareth, but they were obedient. You know, God has a track record of making good things happen out of simple, simple things. Uh, give you an, for instance, the Talmud, uh, which is the oral tradition of the Jews. It's the basis of all Jewish code. It's the guide for their daily life. It mentions at least 64 cities in Galilee, never once mentions Nazareth. In fact, I don't think Nazareth is even mentioned in the Old Testament. So it has this feeling of, man, we're not as good as somebody else because we came from uh, Nazareth. To, in addition to that, Nazareth sprung up right next to a Roman uh, military garrison. And in those days, uh, a lot of, car, a lot of uh, commentators think that uh, 
the cities that were kind of next to those Roman soldiers, they were kind of like, and I'm going to say, quote unquote, the red light district. So they didn't have a very good reputation in any way, shape, or form. And strict Jews uh, looked down um, scornfully upon Nazareth. And so uh, let me give you a little background about what's happening in our story today. Um, Mary and Joseph aren't quite married yet. Um, there are three stages of Jewish marriage. The first one is the engagement. That happens when uh, they are children. A lot of times their parents will make that arrangement. And they make that arrangement when they're children. Sometimes the children don't even know each other at that point. And the reason they do that is because they believe that marriage is so important, it's too serious a matter to leave it up to human passion. Okay. Then the second step is the betrothal. The betrothal is what we would kind of think the engagement period, uh, but at this point, um, it, it kind of is when the engagement becomes official. The, the girl has a chance to look at the guy and says, okay, yeah, I can marry him the rest of my life, you know, or maybe not. And if she said no, then it would be called off. But if she said yes, then it was on. And this betrothal was as solid as a marriage. And it would last for approximately one year. Um, and they, it, they, they were considered husband and wife, but they did not live together and they did not have any kind of intimacy in that regard. And then thirdly comes the marriage when they then officially become husband and wife. And then uh, they they move in together and uh, everything is official at that point and intimacy is allowed. Now, we're going to pick up the story in the second part in the betrothal when they're um, committed to one another, but there's no relationships in that regard. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a relative or going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Three things I want to look at very quickly this morning. Here's number one. Uh, you got to believe in the promise of the impossible. To, 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 to be a virgin and to give birth is absolutely impossible. Many people refuse to believe that unless, of course, you believe in God Almighty, who is the one that orchestrated the universe and, and created something out of nothing. And if you believe that, then it's not so hard to believe that. He spoke the world into existence. God specializes in doing what is impossible. And so the virgin birth is very critical. Um, but, but today, God transforms our lives. And in our lives, you, uh, you see miracle after miracle of people, even in our own church. For instance, the odds of you sitting next to a person that passed you the communion tray this morning or the offering basket, um, it may have been somebody who vowed they would never be caught dead in a church, let alone this church. 
And here they are growing in Christ sitting right next to you. Or we've got classes that are taught by people who said, well, I will never teach a class, and yet they're teaching a class. Or people that are guests here who came at the invitation of somebody five years ago said, I would never have enough courage to even invite somebody to church. And so God transforms our lives. And, and it's, uh, it's not a game of semantics as much as it's the power of God that works in our life. Several years ago, Larry King, uh, the news guy, he was asked this question, uh, who in particular uh, would you select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? He said, Jesus Christ. And so they said, well, if you're going to ask Jesus Christ, what question would you ask him? And Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. So Christianity stands or falls on the veracity of the incarnation. God taking the form of human flesh, coming to this earth, uh, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, all of that is hinging on the virgin birth. It's that, that critical. Was this baby that Mary held the one who would hold all things together? Was the one who was invisible going to become visible? Was the one that is infinite going to become finite? Uh, did the shepherds really go and visit that night? All of those questions um, are happening there. But look at Romans 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Mary has hope. Now, her life changed. She was planning a wedding party, and she ended up doing a baby shower, and all of a sudden, life has changed from her. Not a wedding, but a baby shower. Life didn't turn out like Mary planned. She planned to marry Joseph. She, married, she planned to raise kids. She planned to live in Nazareth. She probably planned to live in obscurity and great poverty, as most of them did back then. But when you believe the impossible, things begin to change. Here's number two. Recognize that there is a price tag that comes with obedience. Mary and Joseph were obedient, and there was going to be a price to pay. And that's also true in our life as well. If you go on Christmas shopping, you'll kind of figure out the greater the gift, the greater the cost. And so when we step out and obey God, things begin to change as well. And so here's some of the things that, that the price tag that Mary and Joseph had to pay, the first one of which is their reputation. You just think about the scenarios going on. Obviously, both of them had a good reputation. Both of them were of good character, or God would have never chosen them to bring his son into the world. Look at Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in those days... You have to know that women were either considered property or they were considered producers of children. And so they didn't really have the, the status that they have in America today. In fact, Jesus Christ is the one that elevated status for women. Um, but this was a very incredible self-effacing thing that Joseph did. He, want, he was righteous and wanted to follow the law, but at the same time, he didn't want to put her to open humiliation and disgrace. And so what he would do is he would take the high road and uh, try to do it in a very quiet way that would protect Mary and salvage what little bit of reputation maybe that she would have had. You know, that his obedience is a way of life. And you know what that comes down to? I choose to honor others above myself. And that's what he was doing. And I think, man, when we get to that place where we choose to honor somebody above ourselves, things begin to happen in a good, good way. Love will cause you to do something like that. So he takes Mary to be his wife, knowing full well 
of that price tag of obedience is going to be with him the rest of his life. Um, now, uh, most people probably incorrectly assumed that Joseph slept with Mary before that time came. Um, maybe some people thought, well, Joseph's just kind of a pushover husband. Maybe she, maybe this woman is uh, a woman of loose morals. Um, you know, at very least, they, they had a breach of, of sexual control that they had in their life. Um, but Mary's talk about this angel and being impregnated by God, uh, that kind of sounds a little bit far-fetched. Now, guys, if, how many of you really believe that, that your girlfriend is telling you something like that? You know, no matter how faithful she had been in the past. Um, but then God intervenes and tells them the real story, and that was good. So both face this scandal. That's what happens when you obey God. When you obey God, it may not be a scandal, but there are times that you will stand in opposition from the rest of the world. There will be times if you're really trying to obey God that there will be spiritual warfare that will happen in your life. You know, I think a lot of people believe when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, then everything's going to be good, everything's going to be smooth sailing, everything's going to be perfect the rest of your life. You don't think you're going to go through those hardships, but that's not true. Sometimes it's just uh, the opposite. Um, a lot of times in the Scripture, we read people that obeyed God, and they faced disgrace, they faced scandal, they, say, they faced suffering. Remember the words of the Hebrew writer, Look in Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, so for them, it was their reputation that was at stake, but they chose to be obedient to God even at their reputation. Here's the second thing that I think was a price tag, stress. Now, we all have stress. We all have it in different ways. It comes in different. We all handle it in different ways, and, and there's nobody immune from it. Uh, even preachers aren't immune from it. I, I, uh, a story, one of my friends, his name is David, uh, he's not only a pastor of a church, but they took his sermons, and they would put them on the radio, and everybody would listen, and they just had a Christmas program, and after the Christmas program, an elderly lady came out, and she said to my friend, she said, uh, I listen to you on the radio before I go to my church. And he says, oh, well, thank, thanks for listening. And she says, I like to listen to you on the Internet. Do you know why? He says, no, why? Because if you aren't doing very well, I can turn you off. <laughs> he said, I want to say, well, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, you know, we all feel stress in different ways. Uh, everybody does. Um, I just saw a, a statistic, a survey that was done by a British company. I assume it's a little bit the same way in America. But the Christmas holidays are very much a stressful time. But do you know when the climax of the most stress is? It is Christmas Day at a precisely 1256. Now, I don't know how a British survey would know it. In fact, they're a food processing company, but it seems to come at a peak at that time. Uh, we managed to survive the madness at the mall and, and the treacherous of travel and, and uh, fatigue of the festivities and everything else that goes on. But uh, according to this report, almost half, 47% of all Britons uh, say that preparing the turkey, the vegetables, and all the trimming, the most demanding task they face on December 25th. They also say there's other things too. Timing everything perfectly, 33%. Coping with interfering relatives, 16%. Uh, others are stressed by chopping, peeling, basting, mixing, struggling to squeeze everything in the oven at the same time, but to make ev sure everything is perfect. And they just get all stressed out because of it. You know what's so ironic about that? And, and we get stressed out. But Jesus Christ came to say, we're not perfect. 
We don't have to be perfect. And it takes some of that stress away. But still we struggle with some of those things uh, in that regard. Do you remember a few years ago, there was a, a thing called the stress test going around. It got very popular. It was created by a guy by the name of Thomas Holmes. And what he did was he took different events that would happen in your life, and he assigned a point value to those. For instance, um, if you lost your job, it was 35 points. Getting married, it was 50 points. If you're moving to a new city, it was 25 points. Uh, so many points for the death of a spouse. And it just went on and on, all these different things. And, uh, the, and what it said in the conclusion was, if you have... Lots of different things happening. You add up all those. If you reach 200, then you have to be very careful because you are in danger of a nervous breakdown. Okay? Well, somebody took that survey and they applied it to Mary and Joseph and everything they went through. Do you know what Mary and Joseph's score added up to? 400, twice the level. So you obey God, things begin to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean your stress is going to go away. And stress did not end with the birth of the baby. Do you remember that they had to then flee for their life? They went to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill all the babies. And it didn't end. Do you remember when finally he was crucified? I think maybe when he was crucified, finally she understood. Remember the prophecy that Simeon gave in the temple when he was eight days old? Let's go back and look at that. We looked at it last week, Luke chapter 2. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now look at this last sentence. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. I think one of the most difficult things in life, at least for me, is witnessing and experiencing the death of a child. Mark's mom and dad are still alive. And it doesn't matter how old that child is, how, how difficult that time would be. And I think maybe that's when, for, for Mary, all this came around. It's like it pierced her soul, too, to see her son be crucified at that age. So there's a price tag to pay, reputation, stress. Here's another one. You've got to give up your own agenda uh, to follow God. Because you may have certain plans and what you want to do, but all of a sudden God's plans are different. God changes your few plans. Why? The word becoming flesh is so critical to the story that, listen to this, you cannot be a Christian unless you believe in the virgin birth. Why do I say that? Look at 1 John chapter 4. This is how you will be able to know whether it is God's Spirit. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ came as a human being has the Spirit who comes from God. But anyone who denies about Jesus does not have the Spirit from God. And so, man, that is really critical. Look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that is a pivotal point in our life as being a Christ follower. Did he come to this earth and live a perfect life and then ultimately die on the cross? Um, and Joseph was struggling with this uh, until God says, this is the way it is. This baby is going to be the Savior of the world. And all of that fulfilled prophecy. Look back at Matthew chapter 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not cons consummate the marriage until after she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I want you to notice that Joseph was obedient. He immediately pushed up the wedding, called the justice of the peace. They got married, and he took Mary home as his wife. Did you also catch the order? He married her. Then he took her home as his wife. You know, we live in an age and a day where a lot of people live together before marriage. 
But Joseph would choose to follow God's order because he was obedient. He went a step further and didn't consummate the marriage till after the child was born. You know, obedience, it carries a high, high price tag. It may, may not be a scandal, but uh, if you choose purity, you may be ridiculed by your friends because that's not the way we do it in our today's society. If you choose to bow your head and pray at a restaurant for a meal, you may be embarrassed a little bit. Your parents or your children may not understand why you give 10% of your income to the Lord, and they just don't understand it. People might shake their heads when you, when you overlook a promotion, even though you would get more money, because you don't want to sacrifice your family for that. that, that it may not cause a scandal, but it certainly could cause a stir by being obedient because there's a price tag. So number one, believe in the promise of the impossible. Number two, recognize there's a price tag for obedience. Here's number three, permit God to use you. Um, let the Lord use you. Joseph, he did that. He went against his instincts and, and he followed after God. Mary did that. Look at Luke 1, This is our text again. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. The message translates it this way. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. You know, she accepted that regardless of what would happen. And God would enter into her and they would begin to grow in her and to be delivered through her. And the world would change around her. But it all happened because of the obedience of a young teenage girl Look at Psalm 115. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Whether you come from a small, insignificant, no-name town like Nazareth, whether you're a small, poor, young girl like Mary, or maybe just a simple carpenter like Joseph, you may feel like a, a less than, maybe small, insignificant, can't do much but great things will come and he will bless the Lord, both small and great alike. And she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let's carry the pregnancy metaphor just a little bit further. Um, it is impossible to have a baby inside of you and it not stretch you in every sense of the world. word. Isn't that true, ladies? It will change, it will affect your body, your sleep, your appetite, your diet, the way you walk. It's impossible to have somebody living in you that doesn't stretch you in every sense of the word. Now let's apply that to Christians. If Christ is living in you, then he should be growing in you and it will affect you in every way. In the, it will affect your body, your sleep, your appetite, your diet, the way you walk, and you, but you've got to allow him to grow in your life because it will change your life and ultimately the world around you. So the question is, how can we be like Mary? It's okay, God, I'm your servant. Whatever that means, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm your servant and I'm just ready to do what you want me to do. Nazareth is a reminder that God is willing to work in the middle of nowhere, in the lives of nobody. And you may say, you know, I, I, I couldn't do that. I, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't because I'm imperfect, I, I don't measure up, I'm a less than. I, I love this letter to Santa from a little seven-year-old boy. He says, you dear Santa, 
There are three boys who live in this house, Jeffrey, who's two, David, who's four, and there's Norman, who's seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all the time. I'm Norman. Um, but the fact is, none of us are Normans. Look at Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. We all need help. We all have faults. We all have failures. We all have mistakes. God works through those kind of people. Do you know why? Because there's no other kind of people. Everybody's failed. Everybody's had mistakes. Everybody's had, had difficulties in his life. But God works through them. God works through nobodies. God works from people who come from insignificant, small backgrounds. God does. And next time, Satan, um, Satan makes you feel like you're a nobody, a less than. You don't believe it. Because God can work through anybody. And he can make something great come out of something small. We don't know how much time we have left. We know that in a heartbeat, our life can change. And I hope and pray more than anything else that this Christmas season, you give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting there and you have never completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I pray the Holy Spirit rests on you in a way that has never rested on you before. And you have this gnawing feeling because nobody knew when Mark was going to slip away from this world. And we don't know when our spouse is or when we are or anyone else. The main thing is that we are ready when that time comes. That's why Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. That someday we have the hope of eternal life to not only see Jesus Christ, but to see all of our loved ones who have been found faithful in Christ who are in heaven before us. Let's pray.